1: Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com.
4: It's that time of night, you can't stay up So come and join the people, and I'm feeling all right. Here on o- overnight america
2: yes welcome back it's always good to uh spend some time here together and i noticed online kstk did a poll the poll question was should metrolink guards be armed i want you to just take a guess i know what you're gonna say yes or no i think most people would say yes but i was very encouraged by this poll. I don't know how many people were in the poll, but it was one that was conducted. Um, do you think guards should be armed on Metrolink? And the way the poll is now, 98% say yes. Of course they should be armed. By state has rejected a push to rearm, and I think that it's not going away anytime soon. I think a lot of people were surprised to learn that you could be working security and guard the Metrolink and some of these platforms and not have an ability to have a uh, firearm on you. We're talking about in the case of last week where a Marine, someone that is definitely trained and willing and should be trusted with one that is capable of handling one safely and securely, was uh, caught by someone that came up, targeted him, shot and killed him. It's a terrible, terrible story. Nathaniel Smith, 36, was charged with first-degree murder and armed criminal action in the shooting of James Cook, the former Marine. If this officer had a firearm, maybe he would be alive today, is what Commissioner Derek Cox said in Madison County, who made the reaffirming motion. But the commissioners voted 7-2 to against revising the decision made last April to no longer allow security employees of Metrolink to be contracted security guards to carry guns, limiting that role to just police. But then again, there's not enough security. They've never had enough security. They had the ability to arm themselves before without a problem, and then now the problem is that they're not armed, and they don't want to reverse the other way. And overwhelming majority, it seems like, of people would all agree that they should be armed. So I'm knowing that this is not going away, I know that Tom Sullivan is watching this pretty closely, and he's someone that has been on top of it for a while. We're going to have to get him on again this week just to uh, discuss this because it is something that could be changing and should be changing but isn't changing and I'm really disappointed that the uh, by state development agency commissioners voted seven to do against it seven votes against it to only two in favor that is also showing they're just out of touch with the way people feel about this I mean if you were to just look and poll people knowing that uh, but then again are they pulling people that are just working at or, excuse me are riding the metrolink I don't know um, would this make people more likely or less likely to ride the Metrolink knowing that that um, there, there, what that, that people can just find their way on and there's no way to be protected if someone does? If anything, do you think a reasonable person would look at what's going on at Metrolink and say no, it, it's safe. it's safer than it was before. so yeah, I, f- I feel fine. I'm gonna start using that service, probably not. So I'm sure there'll be more to discuss on this, too. I want to make sure we have enough time for our friend Kevin Clean, who has another great whole nother story. And if you go outside or at least look out the window outside, you'll see all the snow and think of the warmer months of when you want to get away. For many of our
4: KMOX listeners who go to Michigan, Grand Haven, Michigan, you may have stayed there or, or gone through. There is a store at the corner of Washington and 2nd, Hotstetter's News Agency, which is always the hub of activity. Cigars, comic books, bubblegums, The New York Times and behind the counter there, usually in the hustle-bustle of the summer, owner Tom Tebow, but we thought we'd visit with him just on a winter day. What, what's the weather like up today in Grand Haven with the big storm?
0: Uh, it's been snowing all day. Last night we got approximately 6 to 7 inches.
4: You know, when you go up there in the summertime and with the sunburn season, the short sleeves, it, it never seems possible that Grand Haven could be a winter hell.
0: <laughs> winter hell? Yeah. Uh... I don't call it a winter hell. Uh, Of course, it's cold and it's uh, snowy. Uh, And I believe St. Louis gets just as cold or colder than we do. But uh, the reality of the fact is there's nobody here. That's where the hell comes in.
4: And in the summertime, the Grand Haven Pier with the red lighthouse and the red fog house, it's usually crowded with people and fishermen What does it look like on a day like today?
0: Uh, It's empty.
4: (laughs) So it's icy there along the the shoreline?
0: I would imagine. I haven't been down to look. But uh, as the water splashes up and runs off the pier, then it turns to ice because it is uh, very chilly here.
4: Have you got long underwear on today?
0: No. I do wear heavier socks. Your feet get cold. You're cold.
4: How many inches of snow are you going to get this winter in Grand Haven?
0: Two years ago, we got 100 inches right on the nose. Last year, I think we got 53 inches, 50 or 53 inches.
4: All right, well, thanks for what you do. That's Tom Tebow, who owns Hotstetter's News Agency at 2nd in Washington in Grand Haven, Michigan, the beach town that is now in winter mode, and he's hanging in there. Thanks, and uh, we'll see you this summer.
0: Just a second, Kevin. I want to make a plug for my town. This is a summer St. Louis town. So if you're from St. Louis, come in summer with us because you won't regret it.
2: All right. With a whole nother story, I'm Kevin Killeen. Very nice. Good old uh, Kevin Killeen classic. When there's all the snow, you think about the nice weather coming our way. Eventually, maybe somewhere else, but hopefully in St. Louis. We're going to talk to our friend Rich Rubino right after the break. It's Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier.
3: Siri, play KMOX.
2: Welcome back. It's Overnight America. I'm your host, Ryan Recker. I love this text message. I thought it was cool picking you up in Wisconsin. Well, I am cool. I listen to Overnight America. Well, that is true by default. And who knows how many other foreign countries may be listening to us right now. Joining us is the author of American Politics on the Rocks, Rich Rubino. How are you?
5: I'm doing well, thank you. And hello to Wisconsin.
2: Yes, and we got a email message from someone that recorded uh, us, the radio station. I should say it was uh, unfortunately not our conversation, but they could be listening right now from Scandinavia on eleven twenty a.m. Isn't that something?
5: Wow! That wow! That is amazing.
2: Yeah. Do you know who the uh, diplomat to Scandinavia is?
5: (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) Okay, I was just going to say, I don't think anyone knows. I think that it's going to be a sleeper issue in the 2024 election is going (laughs) to be U.S.-Scandinavian relations. (laughs) We're
2: going to look back at that pivotal moment when that was brought up in the Biden administration. And honestly, if you were to go back and talk to every former president that's still alive, you can talk to Joe Biden, Donald Trump, George Bush. You can talk to Barack Obama. None of them would know the name of the diplomat to Scandinavia.
5: Well, it's interesting. I do remember, though, there was an interview um, back in 1999. Andy Hiller uh, from Boston TV station was interviewing George, then-governor George W. Bush, and he asked him the name of a series of leaders, and he asked him who the general was in Pakistan, who the, and he said, oh, general, meaning he essentially didn't know. Them. He asked him a few others, and then finally he got one. The name was um, Lee, and then Bush put back at him, and he said, After, you're only getting one out of four leaders, he said, well, do you know who the foreign minister of Mexico is? And Annie Hiller says, well, no, I don't, but I'm not running for a president of the United States. That's something that always happens. (laughs) Remember Amy Klobuchar, when she was running for president, she could not name the president of uh, of Mexico. And then Pete Buttigieg was asked he could name it, and Tom Steyer could not name it.
2: Well, there was also, um, was it Ron Johnson, not Ron Johnson, but was asked about The uh, Filippo, was it? I'm trying to remember the reference point. Who was running as the libertarian candidate there for a while?
5: Gary Johnson. Oh, Gary Johnson, Gary Johnson, Aleppo,
2: Aleppo. Yeah, sort of a Filippo, but Aleppo. Yeah. So they asked him about that and he also made some headlines because of that. The pop quizzes uh, are dirty at times because I got to say, I was in high school once and was in a speech (laughs) class and the teacher asked me who the vice president was. I knew who the vice president was. It was Al Gore at the time. But when someone asks you, sometimes your mind goes blank and I have fall prey to that in the past.
5: Oh no! Absolutely, the same thing happened with Rick Perry. Remember back in 2012, when Ron Paul was asked and said which three departments would you cut, and then he says, um, um, and he couldn't name, he couldn't name it, and he couldn't name energy, and then he said, yeah. "Oops," and then, um, and of course, he becomes <laughs> Secretary of Energy in the Trump administration. The irony of it all. Oh, that's great! So tomorrow starts
2: the second impeachment trial, and I saw that in the last couple of hours. Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer apparently laid the groundwork. Here's what's going to happen. I didn't know if you had a chance to see some of the different things that they're going to be doing. And I was wondering if if it compares to previous impeachment trials or if this one is going to look different.
5: Uh, It's going to look different in a respect that there's only going to be, you know, one article. Um, It's certainly not going to take 83 days, which is what Andrew Johnson's took, for example. It's most likely going to be over in a week. Um, Then you also have the issue of essentially... Um, there's probably there's most uh, there's almost no chance barring cataclysm that Donald Trump um, will be convicted. Uh, my my supposition is all 50 Democrats will vote for conviction, and then uh, you'll probably have Senator Toomey, uh, Senator from Pennsylvania, Senator Collins from Maine, Mitt Romney uh, from Utah, probably Lisa Murkowski from Alaska. Potentially, you could have some. You could have Ron Portman from Ohio simply because he's not running for re-election in 2022. But he's probably uh, he's probably a long shot. You may potentially get one or two others, like for example, in the in a, in a House impeachment trial, you had Tom Rice of South Carolina, who virtually nobody thought was going to was going to vote for impeachment. He was pretty much a Trump partisan. Now he's going to have a primary challenge, but. Um, so essentially, you won't get the 67 votes. It'll be over in a week. And because uh, one of the lawyers, uh, one of the lawyers is an Orthodox Jew, he will not be. the The trial will not be occurring on Saturday because it's the Sabbath, and it will instead be on. Um, they will instead do it on Sunday. The other thing that's different is Pat Leahy, who's the Senate pro tempore, meaning he's essentially the the, the longest-serving member of the Senate. He's been in there since 1975. He's a and who, who's actually who's a senator from Vermont, one of the most liberal members, he'll be presiding because the Chief Justice, John Roberts, the Chief Justice of the United States, says that he will not preside over a trial over a former president. So there's going to be some um, issues when you have some sort of parliamentary procedures, for example, and a Republican asks for something, and Senator Leahy, if he denies it, the Republicans are immediately going to say, well, that's because he's partisan, that's because he's anti-Trump, so he's kind of in a no-win situation. And, of course, you're going to have the situation where um, you're going to have Senator Leahy, who's actually interesting, someone who can actually vote while serving as kind of the de facto moderator, as also a senator who's almost assuredly going to vote for a conviction, is going to be essentially um, up there reading the question. So that's something that's kind of – um, that's, kind of unpre- that's kind of unprecedented, but I think just the fact that this is going to be so judicious and so speedy because virtually everybody knows what the results are going to be is what's going to make this kind of, um, kind of unprecedented. That being said, the last impeachment trial for Bill Clinton, by the way, in 1998, virtually everybody thought that he was going to be – that he was not going to be convicted. He'd be acquitted as well, and of course he is because obviously that 67 votes is a very high bar.
2: And I was listening to some different interviews, and over the weekend, Trey Gowdy was on Fox. Maybe it was today. And let me just play the very last portion of his interview. You should be able to hear it on your end, but I wanted to get your thoughts on how he brings this up.
4: Um, It's all for the court of public opinion. Nancy Pelosi admitted that last week. It's for the court of public opinion. It's not for the 100 senators.
2: Okay, so it's for the court of public opinion. And running an impeachment trial to try to convict a president that is no longer in office... Uh, for the court of public opinion. Is that pretty much uh, a given at this point? Is, does everyone accept that?
5: Yeah, I think so. I think you could also theoretically make the case that it's about history. It's about um, how people are going to look back on this 50 years from now, what the precedent is going to be. And of course, certainly if another president does something in, say, 25 years, they will look back on this. They'll say, well, this is what happened to Donald Trump. But yeah, for all practical purposes, it's really um, just for the court of, of the court of, per, of public opinion. I don't really see, I don't envisage any scenario whatsoever where Donald Trump is actually convicted.
2: Yeah, and I also wonder because you mentioned about Chief Justice Roberts not presiding over this one. It's kind of weird too that you have the person that is presiding over this also have a vote as a senator. And yeah. it does seem like there is a conflict of interest. Why is it that they call a senator to do that and not bring someone else in?
5: Uh, that's essentially what the constitution says it's interesting because so the and it's also the so the presidential succession act of 1947 this changes it a little bit prior to that the line of the presidency it went president vice president then secretary of state so secretary of state um you know what it, so that, so that it what used to be for, now what it is is it's president vice president then if the president and the vice president both resign then it's speaker of the house and under that it's senate pro tempore which is interesting because the Senate pro tempore is usually the longest serving member of the majority party, so they're usually the oldest member. That Leahy is 80. You used to have someone like Carl Hayden. Strom Thurmond, when he was in his 90s, held that position. Bob Byrd held that position. There was one moment right after September 11th when George W. Bush was addressing a joint session of Congress, and they thought that it was um, that it was not safe to have Dick Cheney there, so instead of Dick Cheney you had Robert Byrd sitting behind uh President George W Bush but I guess it's kind of similar though if you think about it in the Senate generally there's always a presiding officer theoretically the vice president could do it up until the time of Alben Barkley the vice president actually did that they would actually sit up there and they'd actually say you know I recognize the senator from Arkansas and they would do this ceremonial duty now the vice president essentially they're cut their there Tuesdays essentially for the opening session when the senate's in session and usually they're not there unless there's going to be a tie breaking vote or there's going to be a joint session, or there's going to be a photograph, something that's kind of ceremonial. They have an office in the in the, they have an office in the um, in the, the capital, and they're actually paid as legislators, not as executives. But generally speaking, they are not there. But as I say, usually the person that's presiding, and it's, it's always a member of the majority party. Um, they theoretically have a vote too, and yet they're presiding. I guess you could say the same thing in the House. You know, when the Speaker of the House or the Speaker Pro Tem is recognizing members, they're also voting members because they're members themselves. It's not like you have some sort of a um, nonpartisan referee that comes from the outside. So obviously, whoever's in the majority party, you would think would be, would be would be um, would be biased would be biased toward their own side. So if they do rule on something that benefits their own side, obviously the other side will come back and say well, that's because that person is also a partisan. Because while they're up there they're up there for, say, two hours, then they get down there, then theoretically they could then go to the rostrum and give a speech in favor or opposed to something. So there is always kind of that conflict. And theoretically also, um, in the House of Representatives, the Speaker of the House, they are allowed to vote, but generally speaking, they only vote in a case of a tie – but they are they are voting members assuming that they are actually members theoretically the constitution does not say anything that they have to be members but every member has been so they're also they're also members that have congressional districts but they're also you know serve as speaker of the house and that can be kind of a conflict of interest as well
2: Hmm. Rich Rubino, American Politics on the Rocks, is his book. You can find him at polita-geek.com. And I was looking online because I was thinking, okay, is there going to be a State of the Union this year? And they are speculating it could be on February 23rd, which is two weeks from Tuesday. So what happens if they're still going through the impeachment trial at that point? Do they do all the senators sit there and they go through the impeachment trial and then they go and get a, a late supper and then the cleaning crew comes in and then they clean the hall out and they go and do the State of the Union that night?
5: Theoretically, yes, but I think that most senators are expecting that it's going to be over prior to that. They're only oh, expecting wow, that right now that it's going to be a week. But no, I mean, I guess theoretically they could do that. They could be having the session during the day, although the, the, although the session is actually in a Senate chamber. When the president delivers their State of the Union, they do it in the House chamber, so they wouldn't necessarily have to clean it out that way.
2: Okay, so not a crossover in that sense. So no. they just have to go and pick their seat the other way around. Um, who is it on the House side that always, like, gets there early and stakes out a seat? I can't remember who it was.
5: Yeah, a couple. There, So he actually lost <laughs> re-election to to Jamal Bowen this past time, but there's Elliot Engel, the former chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, you also member of the Energy Committee. He would always get there like six, seven hours, and he'd be right there, and he'd always be shaking the person's hand, um, the president's hand as they come in. Another one who always tends to do it is um, Sheila Jackson Lee from Texas. Yes. <laughs> yes. Usually when she does it, if you watch her, she'll always she, – so she represents a very NASA-intensive district around Houston – so usually when the president or when the president comes by, if you actually listen to her, she always says something to the effect of "Remember NASA, support NASA," something to that. I guess she figures she's getting a free time essentially with the president. Usually the president goes by and they'll shake the hand and they'll keep on going. You'll see some others sometimes will try to lobby and also um, for that you know 15 seconds. And sometimes they'll give them they'll give the president something. Um, probably not this time, but they'll give him something and the president will autograph it. And it's usually though it's members of the president's party that tend to kind of gravitate toward him. Um, But sometimes you do have members of the other party that are always there. It actually became an issue back in 2006. So you had Joe Lieberman, actually 2005 that is, Joe Lieberman, a senator from Connecticut, uh, was running for re-election in 2006, and he was trying to distance himself from George W. Bush because Lieberman was kind of one of the last believers, one of the last Democrats who supported Bush in in many respects on the Iraq War. So Bush was coming was coming around. Lieberman was kind of on the end, and Bush literally went and kissed Lieberman on the cheek. He kissed Lieberman on the cheek, and then Ned Lamont, who's running against him in the Democratic primary, makes that the flagship issue of this campaign that Bush would actually seek out Lieberman and he'd kiss him to say why is you know why is George W. Bush kissing a Democratic senator? And then Lieberman had to come back, and he says, well, you know, I ran against George W. Bush, meaning that he'd run against him um, when he was running for vice president. You know, I'm not George W. Bush, and he tried to distance himself, but you had this picture uh, just everywhere of Lieberman, and he actually made up um, buttons of it. I'm sure you can see it on YouTube. You can see it online, of George W. Bush kissing uh, Joe Lieberman, and then you had, so you had a circumstance where Bill Clinton – Then had to come to Connecticut and hug Joe Lieberman. So then Joe Lieberman said, had another pen. They said, this is the hug from Bill Clinton, you know, as opposed to the kiss from George W. Bush. So essentially, what happened? um, Joe Lieberman could not disalligate himself from George W. Bush. He lost that primary, but he ran again as an independent. He garnered the signatures, and then he beat Ned Lamont in the general election.
2: You know, if I had to guess, if you had, you know, a million and a half dollars, you would have an awesome political button collection. (laughs) (laughs)
5: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I think that, from from what I know, the best one, um, I think Ken Rudin, who hosts the Political Junkie, is supposedly one of the um, best political button collectors probably out there today.
2: We have one here in St. Louis. I, I don't know if it's still on display or not. The Mercantile Library um, has a, the, I don't know if it's an exhibit that extends for a couple of years, but it was a couple of years ago where it was just um, newspapers and things. And it had all kinds of awesome different types of newspapers and publications and artwork and stories. And, and they also had a political button exhibit inside of it, which was pretty cool. So, uh, Rich, do you mind holding on after the break?
5: Uh, categorically.
2: Yes. <laughs> He's the author of American Politics on the Rocks, polita-geek.com. You can find him there. Rich Rabino, our guest on Overnight America, KMOX.
3: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let... Let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional term supply. Selling a little or a lot. to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow grow with Shopify sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com odyssey podcast
1: all-star closer Kenley jansen we have a question what's the best podcast of all time. Get ready for Billikens Basketball as they take on Rhode Island Wednesday night. Pre-game 745, tip-off at 8. Hear it here on your home for
2: Billikens Basketball, KMOX. It's Overnight America. Thanks for joining us here. You know, believe it or not, it's actually harder to find who is the diplomat to some of these Scandinavian countries. I thought it would be an easy search, but <laughs> I thought I'd come back and have a fun fact or something, but not so much. Rich Rabino, author of American Politics on the Rocks, Geek dot com, and if Rich, people wanted to look you up online. Where can they look for you? you
5: know, it might be actually you have to, I think, look have to look up the individual country as opposed to Scandinavia yes. well, in general. I think, but.
2: That's the thing. There's a list of diplomatic missions, list of diplomats in the region, but then I'm having a hard time finding their names. Like, it shows the countries, but it doesn't necessarily say the individual names of who's representing you. you know, I'm you still having look, a hard
5: time. Yeah, You should look to the, I guess this would be, um, to see who gives, them, who gives um, to go through all the donors to the presidential candidates, and eventually you'll find who the ambassador to the Scandinavian country is. <laughs> That's usually how it cool. works.
2: I love it. Um, yeah. So if people wanted to find you on yep. social media, what's a good spot?
5: Uh, Twitter, just type in Rich Rubino, P-O-L, or go to um, www.polita-geek.com, or just go to Facebook and type in Rich Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O. Perfect. So
2: we're just a couple of weeks into the Biden administration. Do you have any observations of his first couple of weeks, anything that comes to mind or stands out to you?
5: Yeah. Um, well, I think that part of it is it's just it's fascinating um, how you've already seen uh, four Republican senators, two of them had announced prior to the election, but are not running for reelection in 2022. Um, I don't know what exactly that means, but it's something that's probably beneficial to Joe Biden. Um, simply because the chances are that he's going to lose the Senate and probably lose the House, just if you look at historical precedent. Um, it's so close right now, there's literally 223 Republicans now that Claudia Tenney from uh, New York State was just declared the winner in one district in New York by 106 votes. So a And then in the, in the uh, Senate, it's literally 50 to 50. So Alabama, Richard Shelby's denounces retirement. That's probably most likely going to go for the Democrat. But in Pennsylvania... And Ohio and North Carolina, all three battleground or showdown states, there's a very good chance. probably 50-50 right now that a Democrat could take two of those, could take some of those seats, and then you know, also have they also have the defend seats like Arizona, uh, where Mark Kelly is filling out the unexpired term of his, of his predecessor. Uh, and then on the other side, you have um, the seat in Georgia, Raphael Warnock just won it, but of course it's an unexpired term of a um, senator who had um who had left for health reasons Johnny Isaacson. So that's interesting. And also the fact I think that so far Joe Biden has not done very much to alienate the left, which is interesting because I think the left was always incredulous toward Joe Biden. They never really viewed him as one of them. They looked at some of his voting record, his support for the resolution in Iraq, his um vociferous support for the drug war, support for the credit card industry, predator drone strikes, but so far he really has not done very much Uh, To alienate the left wing of the Democratic Party, you have not heard many murmurs uh, from Bernie Sanders or from AOC, kind of excoriating them yet. But of course, you know it's obviously just been the first couple, the first month or so uh, of the Joe Biden presidency. Obviously, you're going to hear um, some murmurs as he does do some, as he does do some agenda items that do not necessarily um, be that do not necessarily fit kind of the progressive wish list. But I think that. The Democrats realize that, you know, um, how much they kind of need each other right now, because essentially you need 50 votes on just about, you know, in the Senate in terms of reconciliation. But And then the House, obviously, you know, every single Democrat is extremely important. that's why, for example, if you take a Democrat out of the House to um, become a part of the Biden administration, if they're from a swing district, um, you could potentially lose that seat. But if they're not at least for two or three months, while, while the governor's declared it's a special election, you don't have that seat. They need just about every seat. And also, I think probably the most important person in Washington right now, as opposed to Joe Biden, is probably Joe Manchin. <laughs> it's interesting, the yeah. senator from West Virginia, he is so powerful right now because this is somebody who, um, if you look at his voting record, he's somebody who's pro-gun, he's someone who's against abortion rights, but he's also somebody who voted for the, who voted for the impeachment. He was one of the only, the only Republican that voted for Brett Kavanaugh, the only Democrat, rather. So his voting record is really um, something that is, can really go either way. It's very nebulous. So as a result, on just about every single piece of legislation, the Democrats and Republicans are so close, they immediately say, where's Joe Manchin on this? Where's Joe Manchin on that? And it's something I guess can really benefit West Virginia. Theoretically, you could say, I'll vote for this piece of legislation if you do this for my state, if you do that for my state. But he's really in the catbird seat, like probably never no senator that I can think of. You know, in the last probably 100 years is this powerful, not because he's necessarily chairman of a committee or part of the leadership. He's just in the right position right now in the right time. And I think two years, the first two years of the Joe Biden administration, he's probably the most important member of the United States Congress right now.
2: Of some of those different things that Joe Biden has been pushing and uh, advocating for, some executive orders and such may, and it even talks about some things that may be happening. Like the Keystone Pipeline is an, a, a good example oh, yeah. because when you start to hear some of the big things that, uh, you know, like a progressive agenda would try to push, you would have some very, Huge, you know, like the Green New Deal comes to mind. So you get these really giant, tri- multi trillion dollar packages and things that are being uh, proposed. And you wonder what of these progressive ideas that have been floated in the past you think are most likely to happen. So environmental, I think, is one that would probably be somewhat likely that he keeps moving in that direction. I just don't know how far he would go. You know, looking at things like even Mitt Romney bringing up what would be almost like a universal basic income light to try to give. You know, checks. If you have kids, they'll give you, you know, three hundred fifty a month or something. You know, there's so there, there's all kinds of these ideas that have been pushed around. And I thought, man, these are some things that a lot on the progressive left have been trying to push for for a while. Was it just waiting for someone like Joe Biden to get in for them to be able to try to get what they want? I'm curious some of these different things that have been floated. What you think is most likely to happen?
5: Yeah, it's interesting about the universal basic income, even if watered down one. That was something go back to Nixon proposed it in seventy two. A government supported it. It did have. It has had some Republican support in the past. Um, Andrew Yang really made it kind of his flagship issue and kind of put it on the political sphere when he ran for president last time around. Now he's running for mayor of New York City, and he wants to do it more in a, in a municipal form. So it's become an issue that's really become mainstream, and obviously if you have Republican support, presumably you might get someone like Susan Collins as well that gives political cover um, so that Joe Biden does not can, cannot say that this is some sort of... so that the opponents of Joe Biden, at least moderate opponents and those who potentially maybe are kind of incredulous to him but are just are dis- dis- disaffected with the right wing of the Republican Party can say, okay, this is a mainstream proposal. So that's something. In terms of the Green New Deal, I don't really see that uh, going anywhere just because I don't see the votes beyond the progressive left in both the House and the Senate. I actually think of Joe Biden more it's right now is kind of where Lyndon Johnson was when he came into office So when Lyndon Johnson ran himself in 1960, he was certainly not the candidate of the left. That was Hubert Humphrey. And then when he became vice president, um, he was seen as more kind of a moderate. And then when Kennedy died, I think a lot of the folks on the left thought Johnson was going to be more of less an establishment Democrat, somewhat to the right. Instead, he essentially became a tribune of the liberal agenda, everything from civil rights to Medicare, the Red Extermination Act, the War on Poverty. Um, the elementary and secondary education reauthorization. He gave the left essentially everything they wanted in those first two years, very similar to what the case of Joe Biden. He was never really a creature of the left. In many respects, he was somebody who the left had always opposed, you know, go back to what they said about him during the drug war and during his, you know, support for the resolution in Iraq. But so far, he has not really done anything that's anathema to the liberal agenda But that being said, and this is – I mean, so far, a lot of this is executive orders, which just means that as soon as a Republican comes in, they can rescind them on day one. So he really needs something – he really needs a legislative agenda, something to actually get through the United States Congress. In Lyndon Johnson's case, he had overwhelming majorities in the House and the Senate. So for him, it was just a matter of trying to get conservative Democrats like Wilbur Mills of Arkansas on the Ways and Means Committee to support some of his proposals, or Harry Byrd, for example, to support his tax cut. At the time, um, so it was so it's, it's, it's so it's kind of it's inter- it's interesting because Joe Biden, I mean, he needs you know um, he needs to get something done legislatively as well if he wants to actually cement some sort of a legacy. I mean, even Bill Clinton in his first two years when he had a Democratic majority and he actually had a six six um, he was had about 56 Democrats in his first year in office when he passed his Budget Reconciliation Act of 1993, he still had six defectors of his own party plus every Republican voting against it, and the House of Representatives, he had a litany of, Democrat, of Democrats, like the conservative blue-dog Democrats, voting against it, but Joe Biden obviously needs every solitary Democrat in line, so it's, and, and Bill Clinton had a stimulus package that never got anywhere, any of he a health care plan that never even got a vote in the United States Senate, so um, it's, very, it's a very interesting how Joe Biden is going to kind of navigate these waters, but he's doing everything he possibly can by executive order, but to say that just means that the next president can rescind it on day one.
2: Now, I saw the news yesterday that George Schultz passed away at the yes. age of 100, um, and he worked for multiple administrations. He had his hand in some pretty important things involving this country. Are there any stories or memories that come to mind at his term or at his time in office?
5: Yeah, um, well, it was. It's interesting. I guess one was that he was um, somewhat of an opponent. In the and of President Nixon, certainly in Watergate, he wanted him to he wanted him to come in. and He wanted him to fire some folks and he did not do it. He actually served, you know, three. He served three administrations. Um, he actually was a member, was an alumni of Princeton University. And at one time on a plane, one of the reporters found out that he actually had the Princeton Tiger tattooed um, on his back. And asked him, and George Shultz said, you know, I've gone through so many investigations, you know, uh, I've gone through this, uh, everyone's investigating me That's something that no one's ever um, actually found out that I actually do have um, a Princeton tiger uh, tattooed <laughs> on my other <on> backside. <laughs> so I guess that's kind of an uh, interesting, um, that would be kind of an interesting antidote. He was also someone that was kind of, that was actually somewhat hawkish, and he actually wanted Ronald Reagan to take military action after uh, Beirut, remember the be- Beirut uh, Remember the Beirut barracks fire, which killed about 241 uh, people, um, Americans back in 1983. Ronald Reagan did not do it, but George Schultz was certainly um, was certainly an advocate of that. He's somebody that I think was probably off the reservation in terms of where the Republican Party has gone. At least um, at least under Trump, he's somebody, for example, who supported a carbon tax, and with Jim Baker, who was also a Secretary of State under George H. W. Bush, uh, were two of kind of the uh, supporters of that and it just it's interesting also you know he remember he came up, he one of the, one of his predecessors as secretary of state i think all that i think back to was L Haig, and L Haig was the one who was seen as kind of a cowboy and someone who said i'm in charge after Reagan was um, after Reagan was shot but not assassinated of course George H W Bush was in Texas at the time so his thing his his theory was that well i'm in washington so i'm in charge George Shultz was more or less kind of a behind the scenes guy i think and I think that in terms of kind of the ending of the Cold War, he was one of the ones that kind of recommended um, George H.W. Bush not go up and try to, you know, go on the country having rallies, how great this is, but to kind of be somewhat subdued. Um, and that was obviously a very interesting time as the Soviet Union was breaking up into the pieces. The question is, do you invite the former Soviet Union? Do you kind of bring him to our side, invite him into NATO, which he didn't do? Or do you kind of continue to have an adversary relationship or do you kind of just or do you just kind of try to do everything you possibly can to support the Gorbachev regime? I think that was kind of um that was kind of the path that he took, but he certainly with folks like George Kennan and you know Dean Ruski's one of at least the most influential um foreign policy officials certainly of the um certainly of the last century who never had presidential ambitions himself.
2: Mm. So like people LA. again wanted to- uh, find you online and some of the things you're doing where can they look
5: yep just go to politic com. Uh find me on facebook at rich rubino r-u-b-i-n-o or just go to twitter at rich rubino p-o-l
2: perfect and uh polita-geek.com and his book american politics on the rocks he's working on another one can't wait to hear an update on that sometime soon i know it's got to be close to uh getting that one out
5: Still working on it. It's um, it's a very arduous process. Um, it's gonna, it's, it's, taking, it's taking a while, but it will, it will definitely be out.
2: You know what you need to do is put a false fact in there that doesn't really have any consequence, just to see if people are ripping you off.
5: That would be, you know, that's interesting. I've seen there's somebody that does that on Twitter. They find out false facts about the president, so they'll find out something one president did, and they'll give it credit to somebody else. And um, I have actually um, thought about doing that. I've thought about just seeing if somebody corrects me because the reason I mention this is, in my first book, I would in my I, I quote it every time I mentioned Harry Truman, I'd put Harry S. Period Truman. And mm-hmm. so somebody wrote a uh, Amazon review and criticized that and said that there should not be a period after the S. So um, you look it up, and actually it's a controversy in the Truman community. This is one of those you know, contentious issues of our time, I guess. And the Truman <laughs> yeah. Library in Independence, Missouri, actually writes has a little a couple paragraphs explaining why you do need to put the period after the S, but it just amazes me that somebody would be that um, vociferous about the fact that there should not be an S, that they'd actually write it in a review.
2: I get it. Rich Rabino, <laughs> author of American Politics on the Rocks, and no periods needed for that one. We'll uh, talk to you again next week, Rich. It's so good. Thanks for uh, catching up with us here on KMOX. Absolutely, indeed. And he joins us on the Bomberino Automotive Group guest line. This is one of my uh, favorite segments of all the week on Mondays when we get a chance to talk to Rich Rubino on Overnight America KMOX.
1: Now back to Overnight America on KMOX.
2: Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. Well, that'll do it for us here on Overnight America. It's amazing how fast we could go through four hours We'll be back again tomorrow, and we uh, plan on putting together a nice show for you tomorrow, too. Jan Jacoby is going to join us, which is really cool because he's the Abraham Lincoln historian, local author. And he's going to spend a full hour talking about Lincoln and presidents and such, considering that it is President's Day around the corner here. And uh, otherwise, join us on Facebook, Ryan Recker Radio. It'd be nice to connect with you on there. We can hate Facebook together. Enjoy the rest of your night. Stay warm. Be safe on the roads. Listen to Total Information tomorrow morning to get all the latest on any delays that may be out there. Have a good night. Bye.
0: My heart beats with the lonely rain. Wishing I could see your face again.